So good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here. It's good to see so many people here and those worshiping home. Uh, happy Easter to you. Glad we are worshiping together. Whenever I preach right after I play, it's like, whew. Thank you. All right, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 20. If you have a Bible, and I hope you brought one, uh, please open up to the very last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Um, If you do not have a Bible, I would love to give you one, and after the worship service, um, please come and see me, and I'd be glad to get you a Bible. Starting in verse 1, after the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you on this Easter Sunday that you've given us this gift of a day, this gift of a beautiful morning, the gift of gathering as a church family, and the gift of your word. Um, We pray that as we look to your word and listen, that your Holy Spirit would make this word come alive to us this morning, that you would make our hearts alive, um, fill us with the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if uh, you are like me at some point, um, during the last 12 months, you've said, whew, this is, this is an interesting 12 months. Um, I'm pretty sure that you felt worn out in some way this year. There are uh, so many ways people can get worn out from these past 12 months, physically worn out, um, 
stress, maybe getting sick, financially uh, worn out, maybe relationally worn out. You know, this year we've experienced just how many ways people can not see eye to eye on certain things, and maybe that has put strains on your relationships. Uh, mentally, you could be worn out. You may be thinking, oh, I am so sick and tired of everything going on and tired of COVID, tired of political divides, tired of social societal breakdowns. Um, so I was thinking through the last 12 months and getting grumpy and discouraged, and I thought, what, what are we going to preach on um, for Easter? And I thought, let's talk about why we can believe what we believe. Not just what do we believe, but why we can believe what we believe. So three things I want to look at this morning. They're all about why the Easter message is true. So we're going to talk about um, what Easter shows us, what we can believe, why you can believe it, and why it is important you know why you can believe. Those three things. Um, Let's start with what you can believe. Jesus was resurrected. That's what you're supposed to hear on Easter Sunday, right? Jesus was resurrected. What else? Um, Let's get really clear on what we mean and why it's important. When we speak of Jesus' resurrection, we are talking about history, not mythology, a historical event. Um, Historians of all kinds of religious persuasions agree historically on two things. Historians who are Christians, historians who are Jewish, historians who are atheists, all religious persuasions agree um, that there indeed was a Jesus of Nazareth, a historical person. He was real. And all historians of all different religious persuasions um, agree that Jesus' disciples believed that they had a real flesh and blood encounter with Jesus after his resurrection or after his death on the cross. And that encounter with Jesus dramatically shaped their following actions and their teachings, the trajectory of the rest of their life. All historians that are worth their salt believe those those two things. Um, We don't have to wonder today, you know, is Jesus, is it just a made-up fantasy? Uh, It wasn't. And you don't have to wonder, was Jesus' tomb really empty? Because it was. Historians agree on that. Resurrection means someone who had physically died is physically brought back to life in the flesh. So look at verse 6 in the story that we read. The angels, the angel told the women, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. And by the way, come and see the place where he lay, where he used to be. Come look at this empty tomb. He is not there now. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that skeptics have interpreted Jesus' resurrection is to say, well, it, it spiritually happened. It, yeah, it might not have literally happened, but it was, a, it was a spiritual resurrection. I mean, he didn't really rise from the grave, but the disciples so badly wanted to believe that that Jesus was alive. They, they so wanted to believe that instead of facing the facts of his death, they, they claimed that he was alive. And then they just kind of lived out that belief. And it, it's a fantasy. They lived it out. And they continued to live out Jesus' teaching. 
And as they continued to live out his teaching and propagate that, it was like Jesus was still alive, at least in their hearts. He was spiritually resurrected, some of the skeptics would say. Spiritually resurrected, not literally. But the problem with this is that after Jesus died, you read the Gospels. Right after Jesus died, uh, they showed no inclination whatsoever that they thought Jesus was the true Messiah. Right after he died, they had given up hope. They thought he was, he was just a man, and hope was lost, and they were not thinking that Jesus was going to be rising from the dead. Uh, they, by their actions, suggested that they wanted to go back to their life as normal before they met Jesus in the first place. Something had to change their viewpoint, and that something was the resurrected Jesus appearing to them, revealing to them, you were wrong, I am the Son of God. So the resurrection is literal, not spiritual. It is historically true. That's what we can believe on Easter. Now let's look at why we can believe that. Uh, We live in a skeptical society. Um, These last 12 months may have made you a skeptical person. When many people think of Christianity, they think, well, you, you can't prove that. You can't prove that's real. You can't prove that's true. If the main belief of Christianity is Jesus' resurrection, which it is, um, there is real evidence that Jesus did indeed rise from the grave. I'm going to look at three points this morning, three evidences, and I could have, we could be here all morning long. There is a ton of evidence out there of Jesus' resurrection, um, but we're going to keep it at least a little bit shorter, and we're going to look at three details from Matthew 28. Um, Three reasons why you can believe in Jesus' resurrection. Women eyewitnesses, doubting disciples, and empty tomb. Those three. So first, let's look at the the first eyewitnesses. Um, In verse 5, look at that. The angels told the the two Marys, um, Jesus is risen. Verse 7, the angel tells them, uh, go quickly and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all say that the first eyewitnesses were women. Now, how is that evidence of, uh, and that's our first uh, bullet point, by the way, if you want to put that on the screen. Uh, The very first eyewitnesses were women. Um, How is that? I mean, yeah, I I believe women, right? Uh, (laughs) Women don't lie. Um, That's, that's, no, 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 no. That's not why <laughs> this is evidence. I mean, it is, but uh, that's, I'm going to tell you a different reason. Um, first, let me say about eyewitnesses in general. Uh, one of the strongest, strongest evidences for the reliability of the New Testament is it was written early enough where eyewitnesses were still around. In other words, they could either, uh, they could either testify to what was written or they could discount what was written. If people had written falsehoods, it was written early enough where people could say, that didn't happen. I, I was there, and, and that, that didn't happen. Uh, Matthew lists Mary and Mary Magdalene, gives names. Luke, 
as he tells a story, lists the two Marys and lists other women's, uh, women, women's names um, by name. By providing specific names, the gospel writers were saying, if you want to check out whether or not what I'm saying is true, you can do that. I'm giving you names. Um, look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians was, was probably written 15 years after Jesus' resurrection, if not before then. A really close time span. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 um, that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, why did Paul give this detail? Most of them are still living. Because he's saying, if you want to verify what I'm saying is true, go ask him yourself. They're, they're still alive. Go, go check it out for yourself. Real people saw Jesus resurrected. So pointing to eyewitnesses was important for the gospel writers. Let's get back to the women. You know what? If, if you were fabricating a story, if you were making a story up and trying to get people to believe your fictitious story, the truth is, in the first century, at the time of Jesus, you would not begin that story by saying, and if you want to know for sure, go ask the women. Because in the Roman Empire, in ancient Rome, women were not considered trustworthy witnesses. I mean, their testimony was not allowable in legal trials. It was not counted as reliable testimony. So why did Matthew include that detail? The only reason why he would have included that detail is if it were true. And in fact, the disciples didn't believe the women initially. Uh, look at how Luke tells the story. This is chapter 24 of Luke, uh, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, listing names of these women. And the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They just didn't trust the testimony of the women. Matthew would not have written that detail unless his story were true. Here's the second compelling detail, and that's the disciples doubted. If you were fabricating a story and trying to pass that story off as true, if you're trying to win followers, would you include this detail that the leaders of this movement didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead in the first place? No. You would make the disciples to seem like superheroes. Oh, you want to follow these these disciples of Jesus, because they were just, oh, they were honorable and amazing men. No, they were doubting the, that Jesus was, was the Son of God and the Messiah, and then he rose from the dead. You would not include that detail in your story unless it were true. They doubted. Um, and this shows us something important, the, the fact that the disciples initially doubted. It shows, and I kind of mentioned this before, it shows that they they weren't believing that Jesus was going to be resurrected in the first place. They weren't inclined to believe that. That wasn't their instinct to think, oh, Jesus is going to, he's going to rise. Um, 
You know, some people say, all oh, the disciples, they were just hallucinating when they said that they saw Jesus. Their minds made up this image of Jesus. They were so hopeful that they would see Jesus that they conjured up this image in their minds and their subconscious, and it's a hallucination. Well, they'll go for anything. No. Well, when there's no evidence that there are group hallucinations, that a group of people would all be seeing the same thing. And two, they weren't reluctant to believe in the resurrection in the first place. Our third evidence this morning, the tomb is empty. Uh, one of the most overwhelming evidences of the resurrection is that practically everybody involved believed that the tomb was empty. Almost everyone believed the tomb was empty. Let's start with the guards. Uh, look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happens. Let's talk about the guards. My son, Ryan, um, built this little Lego scene of uh, the, the tomb. That's the tomb. And those are the guards. And he would adapt this little Lego set throughout the weekend to um, show Jesus' crucifixion and uh, you know, death of the cross, carrying the cross, death on the cross, um, and into the tomb. And uh, the reason I, I show this picture is um, I love how the guards are depicted. And a lot of people think of the guards like this. The guards um, at Jesus' tomb, they were kind of these happy-go-lucky kind of keystone cop kind of fellows. And, um, and you know, they're thinking, this night's going to be easy. There's a dead guy in the tomb, and we're just going to be guarding the tomb, piece of cake. And one guy, uh, one of the guards has a pizza, if you see that. Um, the other has this huge baguette and a turkey leg. Um, and the guard with the sword is just kind of kicking back and telling stories and laughing. And the, the other guard on the right, he's got some adult beverage in his hand. And they're just having a pizza party. That's what a lot of people think um, of the guards. Um, where am I? Um, and, and the thought is, with a gang like that, with guards like that, oh, it would be pretty easy for the disciples or from other, for, for other people, grave robbers, to come. And while they drunk themselves into a deep slumber, rolled aside a 2,000-pound stone without waking any of these guards, sneak in the tomb, Take the clothes, the burial clothes off of Jesus' body, unwrap them, fold them nicely in the tomb, and then sneak out without any one of those guards noticing. With the body. Yeah, right. Um, so we're going to look more at this. Junior hires, if you would like to go talk more about this, um, the evidences of the resurrection. Your junior high Bible study can go with Miss Nina and Miss Melissa. Um, all right, so the picture, the guards, great Lego set, probably not how it went down. Um, those who have carefully studied Roman soldiers and their, the use of Roman soldiers um, say, first of all, likely there are about 12 of them. Take a guard that meant probably around 12 soldiers, not, not four. 
of them, about 12, and they were extremely highly trained. Uh, They wouldn't have been having a pizza and beer party because if they failed at their guard duty, if they fell asleep accidentally, or if they abandoned their post, if they failed at their job, they faced death. Uh, One practice was to strip a soldier that had failed at his duties or abandoned his post, just strip him down, close around his ankles, light the clothes on fire, and, and burn him to death. That was a typical execution of a failed Roman soldier. Um, the guards certainly believed the tomb was empty. If the body was still in the tomb, they would not have left their post. They would not have gone in the city and seeking out the, the Jewish religious leaders. The only way for some of them to have left their post was if something terrible had happened and the body wasn't there anymore. So they go and they tell the Jewish religious leaders. And this actually is another important detail of the story. You know, I said that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection were women, and that may not be the case. The first eyewitnesses of Jesus' missing body probably were the Roman guards. They They weren't even believers in Jesus in the first place, and that's important. You know, if the first eyewitnesses, or if the only eyewitnesses were a bunch of Jesus' disciples, I mean, we would say, well, of course you're saying that Jesus is alive and risen because you, you like the guy, you follow the guy. What else are you going to say? Jesus is alive, of course. But the Roman guards, they weren't followers of Jesus. They, the Roman guards did not want Jesus to be alive. They wanted Jesus to be dead because if Jesus was dead in the tomb, that meant they did their job. But here they are saying, The tomb is empty. The guards are saying this. And the chief priests and the Pharisees think the tomb is empty as well. It's not just the guards. The guards tell them about the blinding angel and the earthquake and the missing body. And, you know, what are the the, the chief priests? They don't say, well, let's go find out. I I don't believe you. They're like, oh, this is bad. I'm going to give you some money to encourage you to... Tell a lie that you had all fallen asleep. I mean, the, the, the Jewish religious leaders are taking the guards very seriously. They pay them off with a big sum of money. They don't think the guards are having a big pizza party. So they say, okay, here's a bunch of money. Let's make it worth your while um, to say that you weren't doing your job, that you had fallen asleep, and that the disciples took the body. Never mind the fact, if all the guards were asleep, how would they have known that it was the disciples who had taken the body in the first place? So the Pharisees and the chief priests, they thought the tomb was empty. And then what about the disciples? Of course, after seeing Jesus enough, (laughs) they eventually believed that the tomb was empty. John talks about Peter and John running to the the tomb, and they, of course, they saw that the tomb was empty. Um, So the disciples finally came around. Now, some people say, you know, those disciples are just making it all up. They wanted to deceive people into thinking that Jesus was alive. Why? Why would they be making it all up and then trying to pass that off as a lie? Ten of the remaining 11 disciples, we know this from Christian history, were executed for their belief in Christ, some in very painful, excruciating ways. And if they knew that Jesus was really dead, say that the disciples did take the body, and they knew that Jesus was dead, There's no way that they all would have been willing to die for their their falsehood, their claim that Jesus was alive and that he was the Son of God. If they knew he was alive in the first place, they wouldn't have been willing to do that. 
the empty tomb is one of the most supported events in history. You know, if someone were to objectively say, you know, we can question its historical reliability, then that person would also have to say the same thing about any historical fact. They'd have to say, yeah, we can question the historical reliability that King George III was king of England during the time of the American Revolution. They'd have to say, yeah, we can really call into question the fact that, that George Washington was the first president of the United States. We, we, can, we can doubt that, and we'll have to really, really see about that. If you're going to say that, the, that the, the historical fact of the empty tomb should be under historical scrutiny, you'd have to say that about all other historical details. There's that much evidence that the tomb was empty. There's so many people followers of Jesus, and people who were against Jesus that all said, yeah, the tomb was empty. If you are refusing to believe, you have to ask yourself, why? Why am I refusing to believe this? Is it an honest doubt? Like, gosh, sounds really good, but I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it really happened. If it's an honest doubt, then you can know there is serious evidence that indeed he did rise from the grave. You know, faith, Christian faith, real faith, is not guessing, oh, I wonder if Christ is indeed alive. Oh, let's just go with that. Yeah, let's say it's true. I'll go with that. That is not Christian faith. Faith is trusting the evidence we know, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to to put this deep confidence in you because the the evidence is there. Or, if you refuse to believe, is your doubt like that of the Pharisees and the priests? And you're just determined not to believe. I'm not going to believe this. You have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is it important you know why you can believe? That's our third point. What's the importance of all this? What's the importance of knowing our confidence, knowing we can be confident in Jesus' resurrection? Because when you know it's true, you know that what Jesus said in verses 18 through 20 also is true. Let me ask you, what is the good news? What is the good news of Jesus' resurrection? You know, one of the tendencies, and it's not, this is, I'm about to say something that is not wrong. It is not, this is good news. It's good, true stuff. But one of the tendencies is to think, ah, Easter, the resurrection, it is about an end-of-the-life assurance and not a present-day promise. It's end-of-the-life assurance means that when I die, I'm going to heaven. That's good news. That is true. But that's not all the good news of Easter. Uh, nor is even that one day my physical body, once it's dead in the ground, it's going to be resurrected just like, just like Jesus' is, was resurrected. That's good news. I love that news. But that is not all of the good news of Easter. Um, and we know that because of what Jesus said when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. Jesus did not go to them and say, good news, now you get to go to heaven after you die. That's not what Jesus said to his disciples right after his resurrection. What did he say? 
Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over the universe. This means all the difficulties of this past year are completely under the control of Jesus, our Lord. Get that. This means that your life is never out of control because Jesus is Lord. This is the good news of the resurrection. Jesus is Lord. Be ye glad. And... It also means that Jesus has authority over you. And perhaps this is why some people are reluctant to or even refuse to believe. It's not because evidence has been objectively weighed and that person concludes, eh, I just don't buy it. Jesus is just some ordinary man. It's because the person ultimately claims, my life is exactly that, it is my life, and that person refuses to loosen his or her grip. There was a a Christian theologian named um, Wolfhart Pannenberg, died a few years ago. I taught at the University of Munich. And he gives a really important statement on the resurrection. He says, definitely believe in a literal historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. The history is there. The the evidence supports it. And here's what he says. The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is is a very unusual event. So some people question just because it's a pretty unusual event. And second, if you believed it happened, you have to change the way that you live. You have to. Because Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, this has to change you. How does it change how we live? Here it is. It means we have a mission. Because right after Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, what does Jesus say? Verse 19, Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And we often think of that word go. Why did I highlight it? We often think of that word go as like the big word of that sentence, like the imperative of the sentence. Go! Go, go, go! Um, Actually, the only verb that appears in imperative form, like command form, is make disciples. That word go, it's a participle. It's like going. As you go, do this. As you go about your daily life, make disciples. That's our mission. Going, make disciples. So you don't have to even, you know, we don't have to look at this and say, uh, yeah, the disciples, they like went to far off, you know, cities and countries and they uprooted their lives and can't do that. That's not what Jesus was saying. Going, as you go, as you go about your daily life, make disciples disciples. And then Jesus said, this promise in verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
you know, there is other evidence of the resurrection. When uh, they realize that Jesus indeed is Lord, this group of scared, doubting disciples (laughs) carried out this mission of telling others about Jesus and loving sacrificially their neighbor as themselves, just like Jesus taught them to do. And it wasn't always easy, but there was this present-day promise that Jesus had given them, I am with you always. And through me and my presence with you, you can do this. You can make disciples. And Christ's presence gave them power. And so you have an opportunity this morning to renew your commitment to Jesus' mission of making disciples. If Jesus is the Lord, that means his mission is the main mission. And all of your goings, will you open your mouth more about Christ and will you open your heart more to others? That's how you make Jesus' mission, your mission. Or maybe this morning you have an opportunity to make that commitment for the first time, to say, I believe Jesus is Lord, and that means his mission is mine. You can make that decision today. Christianity, it is not about staying the same old person and then just waiting for heaven one day. That is not what it's about. No, as N.T. Wright um, put the resurrection like this, he wrote, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Because Jesus is Lord and he's bringing his kingdom here and you can join that mission right now, not by taking some blind leap of faith, but by looking at all of the serious evidence that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive and by saying, yeah, in light of that, Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to make my life about colonizing the world that I live in with heaven, with the kingdom of God. And Jesus is with me always. Why don't you pray with me? Our risen Lord, we know that you are present with us right now present in this sanctuary. You're present in our living rooms, wherever we are worshiping you this morning. You're present. You're gathered in your name. Um, Lord, we pray that as we leave, we would be emboldened in our faith, that we would be secure in our belief um, of your presence, this present-day promise. Lord, for those who um, are maybe here for the first time, um, maybe Uh, worshiping for the first time online, and maybe are a little skeptical this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open up hearts and minds to hear this message that Jesus is Lord, Um, and then give them the power to respond. And we trust that this promise of your presence would fill us and them with hope this morning You'll always be with us. You'll never forsake us, and you'll never leave us. Lord, thank you for the hope of Easter. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.